Hi, everyone. Welcome to the sixth episode of Tea with Mama Cash, because feminist activism works, with your hosts, Zora Musa and Happy Mwende Kinyeli. Hi, I'm Zora. I'm the executive director at Mama Cash, and I'm really pleased with myself, Happy, because I have learned to make raw, non-gluten, non-sugar cookies. That tastes good. <laughs> okay. And I'm Happy. I'm the director of programs at Mama Cash. I'm interested to taste Zora's cookies. And I'm also looking forward to watching TV the whole weekend because I'm tired. So Zora, today we're talking about relationships and relationships. Yeah, relationships. They're complicated. They're beautiful. They're, in my opinion, the reason we exist in the world. But they're hard work and they're hard to talk about. And part of the reason, I think, is because love, we've made love complicated as human beings. And I'm curious, we're feminists, we're talking about love. Why does love matter to us as feminists? What do you think? So we talked about how you wanted to ask this question because you don't want to have to answer it either. It's not an easy question. I think some of why it matters to feminists, why it matters to me as a feminist, is that there's a lot projected onto love and relationships women are bound in certain ways are made to do certain things are positioned in certain ways in society because about because of our ideas about love and relationships and where feminists seek to dismantle some of that to liberate women from particular occupations or confines or whatever then we have to we have to re-remember or redefine or reimagine other ways we could relate to each other other ways we can have relationships including our loving relationships. And I think about things like families or romantic partnerships as the place, the site where so much stuff happens that shouldn't be happening to women. And that's why, for me, love matters to feminists. And you, Happy? <laughs> Isn't time up? Do I have to answer? Okay. I think there's something about liberation that I think sits in love and we've somehow because we are messy humans and we complicate things we've made love no longer a site of liberation but a site of primarily struggle so like some of the things you're saying how um, romantic or familial love relationships are places where women girls trans intersex folks have have been have experienced deep violence and even the very construction of love relationships are such as to keep women, girls, trans, intersex folk in positions of subservience to the powers that be. But the idea behind it was, I think, is trying to just have us be in community with each other, flourish, be happy, live in joy and prosperity as we build out what the thing the thing is that we want to do. But we don't do that. And like I, I think love matters to feminists because we want to exist in liberated moments. And if we can get back to these ways of loving that are truly nurturing and caring and holding each other, I think we're a bit closer to it. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about some of that, some of the ways where we've been confined by love because of the way relationships have been designed and some alternatives, other ways of loving, other ways of being in loving relationships, other ways of being differently in relation to each other. 
things like monogamy versus polyamory or polygamy, biological versus chosen families, friendship as an important site of love and relationship for women and girls and trans and intersex people and communities of care. So happy, we've talked a lot about romantic love Mm -hmm. and the place it holds in our lives or not, or at different times and how it gets privileged. Often people are terribly interested in our romantic love lives, for example. And we've also had conversations about things like monogamy versus polyamory. And I'm wondering, you had a particular thing you, you were trying to tell me about why you wanted to reclaim polygamy. I want to start there and tell everybody else what you're thinking about that. <laughs> I'm reclaiming polygamy. Not only men can be polygamous because, so I grew up on the continent, the continent being, you know, the continent, Africa. And in many parts of my everyday life was all these people who are polygamous and all the polygamous people happen to be men. Then I moved through life and got into all these feminist queer spaces where people are talking about polyamory. And of course, for sure, polygamy and polyamory, the way it gets lived out is not the same. But the idea behind it that um, there's ways in which people can love romantically, sexually, multiple people in multiple ways. So why then is it only men who are polygamous? I am a woman and I want to be polygamous. So, (laughs) And then it gets everybody's shackles up. I'm like, what do you mean? From people who aren't in our queer feminist spaces were like, but you're a woman, you're not allowed to be polygamous to folks also in queer feminist spaces who like, no, but polygamy doesn't work as a word. But you also had the thought about why you don't want to reclaim polygamy, the word. Yeah, for me, I associate polygamy with marriage and I find, I don't, short answer, I don't agree with marriage. (laughs) I was going to say I don't believe in it, but it's not that it's a mythical thing that you can either believe or don't believe or something like this. It's mm-hmm. that I, I, it's not a valuable thing for me. Um, in, in, I reject it in many ways. And I understand why people do it, why some people do it. Um, I understand why I've been in positions to think about that decision. But I, the thing about polygamy where I'm like, I don't know about that is because for me that's about marriage. Mm-hmm. Whereas I am fully on board with the idea I struggle with the practice the idea of polyamory Mm -hmm. and the thing I like about polyamory is its challenge to the idea of a primary relationship that there's one person with whom you have everything you know the big sweeping romantic grand Mm. love is a many splendored thing one person situation Mm -hmm. which I um I was going to say, I find kind of risky. What if that person goes away? Then what? (laughs) Uh, And I also, I find it really problematic that we think of love as zero sum, that there's a fixed amount and you have enough for one Mm -hmm. person and there just isn't enough for other people. Yeah. Um, I think the ways that we've organized ourselves to privilege one romantic relationship over multiple romantic relationships or any other relationship is deeply problematic, Mm -hmm. that we restrict ourselves in the way we're able to love and And I think about things like how the state regulates that, right? So the reason I'm resistant to marriage is because of the 
privileges that accrue if you're married, your relationship is seen as more legitimate, you have more status, um, it's born of things around property and patriarchy and heterosexism. And so I, I'm just kind of allergic to it. Mm-hmm. No, I hear that. When you talked about the polyamory, so my own understanding and experience as I get to meet more and more people who are polyamorous has then led me down the road to relationship anarchy. And that for me is the place that in terms of idea and theory sounds like it makes so much sense that there's no, all our relationships are of equal value, merit, worth, and we invest in the different relationships, the things that we need that are needed and that we need to do those relationships so that not even romantic relationships, because a lot of, for a lot of the polyamorous folk I know, even their romantic relationships still take precedence over friend relationships or familiar, not children, but other types of familial relationships. Like, but why? Why would we do that? Why can't all the ways that I love be of equal value and of equal worth and the things I put into them? So it's not just the idea because it's not just the idea that the relationships are worth an equal amount, but I actually do invest into them in an equal amount. And I find the idea lovely and beautiful. I find the practice extremely challenging. But I think that is the point of it. So I have a friend of mine who is constantly like, why would anybody be polyamorous or even try relationship anarchy? Because it doesn't feel natural. It's like I kind of think that's the point because we've been socialized to understand love as this one thing that I give to this one person when, you know, under these conditions. And it kind of settles into this is what feels natural. And to do other things will feel like a bit of a stretch because it's not normal everyday thing because you have to invent a lot of stuff. You have to have conversations about the most innocuous things that you normally wouldn't have conversations about because that's just the thing. That's how I feel. I often say heterosexuality and marriage makes relation, makes it easy for you to be lazy in a relationship because everything is kind of predetermined for you. But in other forms of relationships, polyamory relationship, anarchy and such stuff, you have to be deliberate because nothing is predetermined. And yes, we have had sex five times last week. Today, we have to still ask the question about, do we actually want to have sex with each other? No, we don't. Okay, what does that make about our relationship? And you have that conversation. And then three months later, like, oh, now we're back to having sex with each other. You have to understand it between yourselves. And then you have to explain it to the whole world because, yeah, people are very interested in relationships. Yeah, so I took a few things from what you were saying, which is um, polyamory allows a multitude of romantic relationships. But another part of it is that there's a multitude of types of relationships that are all valid. Mm -hmm. So different kinds of romantic relationships through one person is valid and different types of relationships are valid, not just the romantic is the most important. Mm -hmm. And part of what you were saying was making me think of this thing about what's natural instead of what's habitual, right? So we have habits around some things and we treat love like property. Mm -hmm. And that comes from a particular place and understanding and how, how marriage used to happen, which was about property consolidation and things like this, right? Status building and so forth. And women as property, right? That was one of the first things around some lineages around marriage were about that. Uh, and so I, I'm all for polyamory in principle. And I just really admire you for actually being able to do it in practice because 
It just makes me tired to even think about it. <laughs> just a little bit before we're talking about romantic relationships and everything in there. And the journey I went through to get to the language of polyamory and all of that, which was through queer spaces. And another word that I came across through queer spaces was the idea of chosen family versus biological family. And I find that idea, again, also extremely lovely and challenging, the, that you can choose your own family. And that biological family is, you know, blood and we have to figure out why blood matters so much. But I wondered for you, what has been your own thought? What are, what are your thoughts about the, the processes through which we choose family and the processes through which we are, we continue to reinforce biological family. Mm -hmm. I've struggled with this for a long time. And my chosen family has always mattered to me a lot. And that's been really difficult for biological family members. They don't really get it. Mm. And sometimes it's even come across as, I don't live in a country where I have biological family right now. And I've gotten sometimes from some of my bio family you must be terribly lonely you have no family there mm. and I just look at them and it's like we're from different planets because I'm like why would you think that and in fact surrounded by biological family I often feel incredibly alone because I'm coming from a different place we have different politics the things they find important I don't get the things I find important they're like why would you think that was important so I'm amidst lots of blood family going, I'm my own island here compared to my chosen mm -hmm. family who I've chosen. So, you know, they're awesome in every way and they're mine. And <laughs> it, I think one thing I would want to say is it doesn't mean I love my bio family any less. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it's about, that somehow if you're choosing your chosen family to spend time with, for example, or prioritizing them in some way compared to a, you know, I think of like a bio family event and I don't go because I'm going to a chosen family's, mm -hmm. I don't know, some other event. They're graduating from something and I'm missing somebody's birthday. Like, you know, you make choices. Mm -hmm. And somehow it's you don't love us as much or something like this. Mm -hmm. And I, it's not what it is. Um, but I, I have struggled with that in my life where blood family has been very important to them. And I think it's also been important to them because of their particular historical context, right? Where, where war is around and... Um, you have to create bonds that will ensure your safety in some way. And they've done it through blood family. That's how they've, you know, kept on in the world, sustained themselves and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I make those same choices around how do I keep myself safe? How do I keep myself sustained through chosen family? And that's very difficult for them to understand. Mm -hmm. How do you relate to it? Yeah. A lot of what you say resonates. Um, I... I find my biological family and we exist in different ideological camps. And fortunately, we found ways to reconcile them with most of my biological family. So we can sit and like, we just agree to disagree. And the thing for me with chosen family has been the process of choosing people as family has mattered because the things that, that I do, I am intentional about them and I recognize the intentionality in ways that I'll do the same things for my bare family, but I don't recognize it as intentionality. It's habitual, like you said earlier. So um, it's my nephew's birthday. I'll call him. It's just a thing that I do because that's what you're supposed to do. With chosen family, I choose to act in a loving manner to them. Um, 
and especially some of my chosen family, even when things are difficult between us, because we've chosen each other's family, we will find ways to work through it and have those difficult conversations, um, find other people who will help us mediate them in ways that we don't have to do it. Like it's not an obligation. It is because I have chosen you as family and I continue to choose you as family. And there's always the option with my chosen family that we can stop choosing each other's family. And it doesn't mean a rejection of each other. It just means this particular configuration doesn't work for us anymore. So let's find another one, which I don't find possible with my bio family. It's like, we're blood. Blood is always blood. You don't choose blood. Blood chooses you. Like, okay, but there's certain ways in which our relationships don't work quite the way we both want them to. But because the habit, we have such deeply ingrained habits of how to interact with each other, even trying to bring up those difficult conversations, it's like, oh my gosh, we can't have this conversation. Like, so I don't do it. I don't, I don't feel myself being intentional in a similar way with my bio family as I am with my chosen family. And like you, it's not because I love them less. It's the process of making us family have been so different that I don't have the similar, the similar desire to, to do things in the two different spheres. I'm interested in the part where with bio family, you're stuck with them, mm -hmm. right? This idea that you're stuck with them. So even if you vehemently disagree or you're in a fight or there's a falling out, you don't get to let go of each other. Mm -hmm. And the part about chosen family that I regret is that our chosen family doesn't have that. In my practices around chosen family and others I've seen, you, you can walk away. This thing you were talking about, you can choose to relate to each other differently. And the reason I'm interested in that is this idea about love. If you're committed on a love level, how is it that we're allowed to walk away? Don't, aren't we then kind of privileging biofamily more than chosen family because we're saying biofamily, we can't leave chosen family, we can. And what does that say about the quality of the love that you can walk away? So I'm thinking about that a little bit and I'm wondering, yeah, what do you think about that? What do you think about where does that sit in terms of being politically committed to a person, for instance? I think for me, it makes it more liberating to love that I'm choosing to love you and I'm not obligated to love you, which is kind of how biofamily stuff feels. So I can't walk away because we have blood. It definitely feeds, at least for me, into it helps re- uh, settle any fears of abandonment that I have because whatever happens chosen family leave me my bio family is never going anywhere right but I don't think necessarily I show up for or we show up for all each other in the ways that is beyond you're my brother you're my sister you're my mother you're my father beyond the title I don't know if there's an actual relationship under that that holds us and then I wonder have we not walked away anyway we're just hanging around because that's the thing we have to do because it's an obligation. Um, whereas with chosen family, we accept, we acknowledge that things have shifted between us. Um, and I still love you, but the way that we want to interact with each other and the way we want to hold each other is different. And it doesn't mean that love is finished or my commitment to you is over. It's an acceptance that the thing between us is no longer the way it was. And we'll flow with that take it where it takes us, and that's okay. And also earlier, going back to the idea that there's actually no, my chosen family is no more important to me than my friends and my romantic loves. Like, all relationships are equal. So we, we are no longer chosen family, but I still love you. 
happy friendships, Mm -hmm. friendships amongst women, trans people, intersex people, girls, frenemies, mean girls, all of that stuff. What is happening (laughs) with our ideas about friendships between us as feminists? And in particular, I'm wondering what is the place of friendship for you in this conversation around relationships and love? Well, friendships are, I was going to say, it's like biofamily. <laughs> my friendship, my my friends anchor me in ways that I don't think other people can because of the nature of the relationship and they matter. Um, so we'll fight, we'll disagree, but we'll always love each other and show up for each other without some of the baggage that comes up with um, romantic sexual relationships or bio-chosen family kind of relationships. And my friends are the people who will pick me up when I'm not willing to be broken around anybody else. I can be broken around my friends because we've seen each other through stuff. Um, We sort each other out. You need this, I show up. You need that, you show up, right? But I think my understanding of the value of relationships has changed over the years. So I was one of those confession moment. I was one of those girls who was like, yeah, I don't really hang out with girls. I don't like girls. They're, you know, drama. I like hanging out with boys. Um, And recently I heard somebody say that to me, someone who's younger. And I was like, but they're hating ourselves, right? We're saying that that which is inherent and true of who we are as a people, we don't like. We want to go towards the thing that is masculine in some way or the other. But the older I've gotten, the longer I've lived, I've I've realized the error of my ways. And definitely not just friends, but my 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 I'm struggling because it's not it's I was gonna gender them. I was like, no, that actually doesn't matter. But there's a quality of friendship that shows up with the people around me who are my community and they're my friends. What about you? I've always been a big believer in, for myself, girlfriends Mm. and the power of girlfriends and um, being conscious of the way that collectives of, in particular, women have been policed and attacked and, you know, women hanging out, being branded as lesbians or witches or whatever. And being very resistant to that and actively promoting circles of women around me. I don't only have friendships with women, but it's been very important for me uh, to have that and to claim that uh, as a, a source of strength and power and, and importance in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering also how, what's the thought? When we are doing the feminism that we do... It's gangs of women a lot, right? Hanging out with each other. I'm very <laughs> conscious also about a little bit what you were talking about, about, you know, I don't hang out with women and the kind of self-hate stuff. Yeah. But related for me to that is sexism between women and our competition and our internalized sexism and how that pits us against each other, how that sees mm. us taking each other down, disrespecting each other, backbiting, talking behind each other's backs. And I know there's been these calls for, you know, just stand up for women and um, show up for each other. And I think I, I, I kind of am wondering how we do that also as movements. Mm-hmm. So we talked about this on another episode around why um, lesbian women, for example, have been showing up for abortion rights struggles 
and not the reverse. Mm-hmm. And that for me, there's something in there related to how we also value friendships and solidarity. Mm-hmm. And when you said that, the a lot of times the thought that came to my head, and I don't know if this is true, so we'll fact check this later, <laughs> is I feel often in in social movements or in feminism, in organizing work, the women who show up often are the ones who are already oppressed and they'll show up for those who are privileged. So like you said, that lesbians are showing up um, to talk about uh, abortion rights. And there's something about having experienced that being on the outside that what a solidary love looks like because I have not been loved by ex-community. So I, as a black woman, I have not been loved by white women. Um, And there's moments where I have to say I struggle, but I try to show up um, in care and love towards white women. And then I wonder, like, so how would it look like if we thought about, I want actually to be deliberate in solidary love to all the women around me or all the trans folk around me who have been historically oppressed and continue to be oppressed in our space and what that would look like and how how a frame of friendship mm-hmm. could actually push us a little bit further than just I am in this social movement and we have to be we have to struggle next to each other because that's what the politics say but a frame of friendship would be there's there's a deliberate type of relationship that we're trying to build and it matters and it's not about us being nice to each other but it's we want to hold each other in a friend, in a platonic type of love um, that maybe gets us closer to the ultimate liberatory love place we want to exist in. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in that idea. Um, and I was just thinking about some of my close girlfriend friendships and how we don't share politics. Mm. And yet there's a commitment there. There's a solid friendship commitment there. We will show up for each other whether or not we share politics. And then I have political relationships with women that are extremely important to me. I'm organizing with them or I'm, you know, doing the feminism at the feminist organization called Mama Cash where we work. And I was just thinking about what would it look like if that was done in frameworks of friendship. Mm -hmm. I think some of that's difficult because of capitalism and hierarchies of power and all kinds of things like that. But I'm interested in that idea. How would friendship change our feminism? Mm. I don't know where it goes, but for me, I, I think it's an interesting idea, but also for a moment I was like, hmm, but do we want that? Because um, in my head, I thought friendship means I have to be nice to no. people. I was like, no, actually, some of the people I'm least nice to are my friends. Um, and yeah, if we, or at least if we strove for that, and it was like, I want to be deliberate that I'll show up um, and I'll show up authentically, not just I'm showing up because politically I believe that we should all be in alliance to each other, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to show up authentically and I ask you to show up authentically and we hold the love between us. And yeah, I don't know where that would take us. I don't know either. And I I also struggle with the idea that you have to be friends to be able to do feminism well together. And I think that has been a trap for many feminists. Mm -hmm. And we have fights with each other and, you know, break friendships and therefore political alliances fall. And huge divisions within our movements because friends fall out. Mm-hmm. So what are we saying? That we don't want the friendship frame or we do want the friendship frame? I think we need another podcast. Okay.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Tea with Mama Cash because feminist activism works. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. And it would be awesome if you left a review on iTunes as well. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, we're your hosts, Zora Musa and Happy Mwenda Kinyeli. Signing, Signing off, off until, until the, the next, next time. time. This podcast was produced by Amanda Gigler and Sophia Sewell, our colleagues at Mama Cash, in collaboration with the fabulous Natalia Tchouki. We recorded this episode in Studio Amsterdam with help from Nick DeWitt, who also did the audio post-production. 